He said, being an entrepreneur is like being a clown punching bag. Anything can happen in a day. It'll hit you really hard. But our job is to just keep getting up with that smile on our face. Hello, I'm Andrew May, and this is the NAB Business Fit Podcast, where we chat with experts and leaders in a range of fields, delving into their world to find out what fuels them and to learn lessons that can be applied to running a small business. We have conversations about how they have adjusted to new ways of working and share stories about adapting and navigating through challenging times. When people ask me, so Andrew, what do you do? Depending on the context, I tend to answer with a mixture of I'm an author, a keynote speaker, a performance coach, a CEO, or a podcast. But what I really do, what I really do is run an exciting small business called Stride Stronger. And I can't think of a better person to talk to about running an exciting small business than today's guest. Naomi Simpson is an award-winning Australian entrepreneur and business leader who started her own business with just $25,000 of her own money and a unique idea. And that unique idea was to build a marketplace for experiences. Naomi founded her company Red Balloon back in 2001 and has since expanded to several businesses under the umbrella of the Big Red Group, so far delivering a staggering six and a half million experiences for their customers. She's a blogger, a best-selling author, a highly sought-after speaker and a philanthropist. Add to that Governor of the Cerebral Palsy Alliance, Director of the University of Melbourne, Faculty of Business and Economics. And if you're watching this on video, you're probably going, I've seen her before. Yes, she is an investor on Australia's Shark Tank. There are few people in this country who've done more to support small business. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Naomi Simpson, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's so great to be here. So think about to when I saw you physically last, because I've seen you on the TV and in other formats as well, but the word I would use or the word I think about with you is impact. And I want to talk about impact with small business and you've got some really good thought leadership on that, which we'll get to. But let's start with what impact has COVID had on you? What impact has it had on the way you're you know, setting up your day, what impact has it had on your mindset? Yes. Look, it's been an emotional journey, especially we reflect back to that first three months and nobody knew what was going on and it was a whole new world. And I like to be in control. I like to plan. I like to have everything set out. And I think one of the greatest challenges for me was just living in fluidity of what was going to happen today. Also knowing that as a business owner, you know, we have responsibilities and accountabilities for not just our employees, but our community and the people around us. And also obviously our customers. So not being able to make finite decisions based on time was challenging. On a really personal note, all of our family is in Victoria and um, we have one son in the US as well, which now seems a world away. Uh, My parents um, haven't left their home since March. It's been a really big strain in terms of just being able to be with family. But what we did think about was what can we control? So we set up a rhythm of how we all get together. And I think that we probably spend more time together now virtually than we ever did before because our conversations used to be one by one and now every Sunday morning we have this rhythm of video chats and catch-ups and so forth and even for my husband's birthday which was just recently I had the kids all dial in for a cocktail so even though they couldn't be there they all got dressed up they wore you know they had their favorite cocktail ready and um So I guess we're far more intentional and that's probably my theme for the whole of this. You have to be intentional, whether it's your personal life, your family life, or obviously business and career. 
You've written a lot recently, especially in the last few months. So borders are starting to open up. We're now starting to see businesses kick back. It's still a fair way to go for a lot of businesses. But you've written a lot about optimism. So would you like to share your thoughts on optimism and specific to small business? And then I've got a psychological question to ask you. I've been really, really wanting to ask you this deep, meaty psychological question. (laughs) Oh, I can hardly wait. So optimism is one thing and positivity is another. Optimism, sometimes I think it can be a hollow kind of almost like a layer that you put on, you know, look at the bright side and stiff up lip. And that's not what I'm talking about because truly that is inauthentic and it's not your true self. So positivity is to be able to observe yourself and flip the narrative, flip the conversation and talk to yourself in a different way. And it's different. It's different than optimism. So positivity, you know, my mum says I was born positive and I was born laughing, but literally it's a, okay, so I don't know this now. So in the space of freedom, what can I create? So it's the power of observation is what positivity delivers for you. So something happened. What did I feel immediately? Is there another way, another answer, another viewpoint? And I think that that comes with emotional maturity as well. And it it takes time to not be triggered. One of the things I said very early on in this, because I found myself being triggered by the media, I found that I can't influence anything. I can't do anything about it. And yet I'm feeling anxious and upset. So how am I going to shift that to being something positive? And the other thing is I look for who do I trust and the media sources, and where am I going to get my information? So I turn off all my alerts. I turn off all these things so that I am in control. We are so aligned because I do a lot of work around this, as you do with groups as well. Uh, Jake Bailey, who we on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, said he's gone from public speaking to laptop speaking. So I'll honor Jake and that. But yeah, we do lots of laptop speaking now. And people get whipped into a frenzy, Naomi, like reading from the moment they wake up, what's going to happen with the markets. And I tell people exactly the same. Get off your mobile phone first thing. I love the 30-minute rule. Spend the first 30 minutes waking up. Remember when we were kids, we would have break the fast, breakfast. You would connect with family and loved ones, then dial in. And then if you can have that 30 minutes at the end of the day, you'll sleep better as well. So get off the social media all day, every day. The psychological question for you, have you studied... Barbara Fredrickson's theory on broaden and build or broaden and build theory? No, I haven't. Because you epitomise it. So I was just wondering whether you had actually... (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) As I said, I take my media very carefully. And actually, um, personal recommendations are really important to me. And when it comes to... Because reading a book it takes so much focus, time, energy. And so therefore, um, personal recommendations are very important. Mm. Well, Fredrickson talks about how positive emotions in our life set us up to handle future challenging events. And you've just explained broaden and build theory beautifully. You've epitomized <laughs> it in the last six months. So I was wondering, does she actually know this construct or are you just enacting on it? Is this something that's come naturally? Have you always looked at business with an optimistic lens and applied positivity? I like the differentiation between the two. Yeah. Um, look, I remember years ago, somebody said to me, it was actually the founder of Nudie Juice, Tim Pethick, and he said to me, he said, being an entrepreneur is like being a clown punching bag. Anything can happen in the day. It'll hit you really hard. But our job is to just keep getting up with that smile on our face. 
the next day and I remember, look, you know, one thing after the next, after the next, and I remember saying to him, what if I just don't want to get up? And he said, oh, I thought you were an entrepreneur. There you go. And then, of course, that challenged me to get up again. So I guess I have always had a positive outlook and also the ability to focus on my own strengths, like what I need to get done. That was a real aha moment for me is about what am I good at and what am I, are my non-strengths? What am I not good at? Because when I spend my energy working in my power, so one of my things is winning others over. I love to chat. I love to meet people. Another one is input. So I'm a gatherer of information and or a gatherer and a collector and um, and one of my strengths is also positivity, self-assurance. You're not surprised by that one at all. So when I put those all together, they kind of validated who I was and it was absolutely okay to be who I was. What I'm not good at is necessarily empathy, which people are surprised at, not necessarily good at the detail. But sometimes your non-strength can occur as a strength because you're putting in place something else. So my um, non-strength of not being empathetic at all, but because I'm interested and curious and I ask a lot of questions because I gather information, it appears that I'm empathetic. And really, I just don't give it in. <laughs> so how does it show up to someone if you are not being empathetic? What would that show up like or how... How would someone pick up on that? Um, Somebody might pick up on that because empathy is far more about the feeling or the emotional connection. I'm deeply curious about how they experience it rather than necessarily feeling it. So it's a very, very subtle difference. But I think part of my evolution to leadership was understanding I didn't have to be good at everything. I didn't have to be great. You know, it just is the way it is. So play to my strengths and have people around me who have my non-strengths in spades. And I feel very fortunate I've had, you know, I have really great people around me, especially in the business. You have really good self-awareness. To have that awareness, but also the confidence to say, here's what I'm good at. Here's the areas that I need people around me. Go back. You started Red Balloon 2001. You left four or five years before that. You had a good corporate job. So before you became a clown punching bag, I love that that <laughs> analogy. There are so many people listening to this, or we hope there are so many people listening to this podcast going, that's me. I feel like a clown punching bag and COVID. It feels like I'm just getting whacked, whacked, whacked. So back when you left the corporate world, what was different then around your self-awareness? Um, look, I've always been very urgent. Everything was urgent. At university, I, I was one of those odd people who would just get in and do that assignment and I'd be much happier in a group environment project. Oh, I'll just do the whole thing and I'll just put your names on it. You know, that's kind of been my approach, which is not A, inclusive, and B, it's kind of my way or the highway, which on my leadership journey when it came to running my own show, I had had the feedback in, corporate that you know I was very gung-ho and was always in action and that was not necessarily listening to people around me and I did find corporate very frustrating for that reason so when I ran my own show at some point I was doing everything but then I knew I if I was ever going to grow that baby I had to have other people around me and that was quite a challenging journey Um, and that strengths work understanding what I love what I loathe really helped me get great people and I've made many mistakes you know let's not say this has been a perfect road but that really helped me on that journey to move from being it's me 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 it's urgent 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 I'll get this done to being oh my goodness I don't know how I'm going to get all this done I need the right people in the right places it's so inspiring I can hear someone thinking this 
saying this, oh, it's so inspiring. I'd love to be like her, but I've got young kids. I can't do this. You know, I'm going to wait until the kids get a little bit older. How did you balance that? They will grow up. You know, as Anne Sherry said to me when my kids were really little, she said, just remember they'll grow up and leave home. And she said, they won't remember whether you went to this, that and the other thing. And I asked my kids now, do you remember when I worked in the school tuck shop? No. <laughs> do you remember when I did reading in the classroom? No. So, you know, I was beating myself up as a parent to do all of the right things and tick all of the right boxes. But the other things they do remember is me playing Monopoly with them before school every morning. You know, we play games and we do those things. So they remember those things. So I guess as a parent, it's a what do you do for yourself because you love it and you want to be a part of it versus what you think will impact the child because they're on their own journey and they have their complete own view. My trick, it's so funny that we're all back working from home because, of course, I started my business from home so I could spend more time with our kids and now they're all off in Victoria. And But the thing was that I was always present. So, and I guess I was fortunate because smartphones weren't around and so we weren't always looking at the phone. But being able to be truly present and in your child's world, even if it's for an hour, is better than six hours half there. So that's why before school was our absolutely dedicated time and it was always also my way of getting ready for school. Do you want to play a game? Well, I've got to be ready for school um, and walking them to school and meeting their, their friends and their kids. That was my thing. So that's what I say to people who want to run a business, block out the time and just say, this is my job right now. But being a parent is a very important job and you've got to be really present with it too. It's refreshing hearing how clear you are on that. So what was important? I was going to ask you the question, but you answered it for me beautifully. You've done a bit of this before, Naomi. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> love um, to chat. <laughs> but I imagine a number of people might hear that and have guilt. Did you ever have that guilt or was the conversation with Anne something that, yeah, that's really right, that's really rational. Spend the time with what they think is important rather than sort of whipping yourself thinking I've got to do all these other things. Because I do see this with a number of people in corporate and small business owners. They, they run around in guilt all the time and they never actually enjoy the moment, whether it's work or whether it's the time with the partner or the kids. So you're trying to do everything for everyone. You're pleasing nobody. And on smartphones, smartphones make really intelligent people do dumb things when it comes to love and connection. So you get this cycle that it did you ever have guilt? Um, my children have brought themselves up very nicely. So they're successful, happy human beings contributing to our society. And I guess one of the things, you know, often parents say is I just want my kids to be happy. Well, I want my kids to be resilient, responsible and respectful, and I want them to contribute to a society. Happiness is one of the many, many human emotions and it goes, comes and goes, It as does um upset, anger, and all of the other um, emotions that we have. So happiness is not an end state. It is part of the journey. And once I appreciated that actually kids need contrast, they need to have to pick themselves up, dust themselves off, iron their own school uniform, make their own school lunch, find their way to school. And they bought themselves up nicely. But um, they're okay. And I see a lot of superhuman parents trying to do everything and have the kid off at violin and volleyball and maybe they're going to be a ballet dancer too well unless it's a, it's a real passion and drive maybe from the kid that family time I think is so precious I know during this time that we've been the families have for the first time been eating evening meals for together for instance 
it's so precious. Playing games and doing those board games are massive resurgence. So we have an opportunity to break the cycle and let's keep it going. One hour of absolute focus, listening, being in their world, asking them questions without judgment is so much more valuable than what did you do at school today? They can't remember. You know. <laughs> I asked my son that. He's nine. How was your day, Arch? Good? Yep. That's it. That's the end of the conversation. And that's it. Like, what did you do? Like, what did you do that was exciting? Played with my buddies? Yeah. Okay. Did you learn much? No. <laughs> do you want to play Monopoly? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> We've been playing board games. It must have been in preparation of talking to you. So I felt, wow, I'm connecting. And, and my partner, Tony, she introduced that as well because she said exactly the same. Being in lockdown or being in COVID and reconnecting with community brought up some of those memories we had as kids. And one of the great ones was playing board games without mobile and without Nintendo and Xbox and everything else. So it, it sounds like you've had that connection in a new world, but those old world values throughout. So did that help you get through COVID better? Did that help you adapt quicker than others? I don't know because, you know, there's 22 million of us in this country and there's X billion on the planet and, you know, all of us are just imperfect beings muddling our way through. And I don't like to compare myself because actually comparison is often the form of upset. Oh, you know, Joe's doing so much better than me if I was like him, blah, 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 versus actually I'm happy with my day. But seriously, the greatest gift you can give anyone is your time. Greatest gift you can give your children is dedicated time. And this doesn't say give up your career. Not at all. Include your child in what you're doing. If you are, respect to your question, if you are starting a business from home, share with your kids what you're doing. Get them involved. My kids used to blow up balloons before they went to school on busy periods. My son would look at pictures and say, maybe this could be an experience, mom. It was always motorbikes. And I would share my purpose with the kids and therefore they became a part of it. And I think There's no divide now between work and home and the more that our children see us as professionals contributing to society. A friend of mine this year got a gong and, you know, finally got to go off to Government House and her two just leaving high school, university-aged sons went with her and for the first time they really saw her contribution to community society and they saw their mum through somebody else's lens and I think that that's really wonderful if you can include your kids so that they can see the world of how you contribute to society because then they go, oh, I could do that. My mum worked on one of the first computers in Australia back in the 60s. When I was a little tacker, she'd go off to work every day. I would go to school with computer printouts and say, my mum works in computers. And I was so proud of that. And, you know, she would take me to work and I saw where she worked. So I was included And I think the more that we see that we've got one life, wherever work happens, wherever family and friends happen, that we just are one person. And the more that our kids can see how we contribute, the more aspiration that they will have for their own journey. I love that. In year one, I can remember both my kids, or two older kids, they get up in front of the teacher and, and parents are invited as well. Hello, my name is Naomi and my mum's in computers and you have everything there, right? And I can remember going to that and Archie stood up and said, hello, my mum's a newsreader and my dad, he sometimes goes on TV and does push-ups. But my <laughs> uncle Marky, my uncle Mark is a builder and a fireman and then the kids could ask questions. So your mum's on TV, dad does 
push-ups and you know, goes on TV sometimes. <laughs> but Mark, he's a fireman. All the kids asked about the fireman. It was hilarious. So from that day onwards, I every year I take my kids with me to something. So I took Michaela a couple of years after that to Melbourne for ABC News Breakfast, the regular segment I do. And I think she thought it was like morning wars. So we rock in there and get up early, you know, go for a walk, get your state ready. You know all about this. Makeup and hair for me, Naomi, is makeup. And so Mickey took the hair appointment and then she said to Kerry Stanley, who's the lovely makeup artist in ABC, excuse me, Kerry, uh, where's the buffet? This is an ABC. And Kerry said, darling, this is ABC. We have Nescafe. So it was just beautiful that they saw what dad does and what mum does. It was real. Now, back to the story, I can remember one mother was in tears because her little daughter got up and said, hello, I'll make up the name, but my name is Annabelle. My mum does emails and phone calls. <laughs> and then you could hear this, and then this mother was just quivering. So, so important, right, to share that. And I know your answer on this. I'm being provocative, but uh, you work-life balance is not a word that you use. It's a blend. It's a hybrid. Yeah, it always has been. We have one life and how we choose to use it. Um, you know, all of us were given 24 hours in the day and every hour is a choice. And so I often thought that something, if you were up to something, like if you really want to create an enterprise, it's not a nine to five job. And so- Oh, come on, Naomi. What what <laughs> credentials? Who do you think you are, young lady, telling me it's not a nine to five I job? Know. I want to have this unicorn <laughs> and I'm going to have work like that. Exactly. And so I often thought that the term work-life balance was used almost as a weapon that if you don't have that sorted, then you're not doing something right. And especially when I see the juggle, which a lot of parents go through of, oh no, now Johnny's sick. Who's going to stay home? Who's going to do whatever? Then it's really, it's really, really hard. And I do think, and I think actually this new melding and flexibility that we have and I've written actually a blog post about it for around Father's Day is dads are loving being included in home life in a way that they probably just weren't before for no real reason they all knew they wanted to and it just it was just habit and so we've had a chance to break some habits but there is such a melding now between the work week, the weekend, when we work. I know many parents are now choosing to pick up their kids at three play until five or do school homework, but then afterwards they're happy to work for another few hours to finish off their day, but they get that very precious time. So I think it's going to be challenging for employers more and more of how they get cohesion in the team when people are all wanting to work different hours and different ways to suit themselves. I mentioned at the start today the word that really comes to mind when I think of you. I was talking to Cara, our wonderful producer, and I said, it's impact. Like you have an impact, whether you get up and it's the red colour and the life and everything else as well. But let's flip that. If small business owner was wanting to have an impact on you, so can you put your shark tank hat on? But first of all, was that, it looks like it was so much fun doing that show. Was it as much fun as it looks like or was that editing? No, no, the editing was great, but we had such a good time. Only thing is often we'd forget that we were on the telly. So, you know, they had a little uh, worm in our ear and sometimes they'd things, say things like, Naomi, could you sit up straight and do you mind closing your legs? Thanks. It's national television. And we go, oh. <laughs> so we're always, uh, you know, you forget, you know, don't cross your legs, sit straight, all of those things. Um, so we'd forget because we got so into it and it was pretty full on. You know, some days we'd see eight pictures a day. 
and we see 100 in the season and about 40 or 50, I think, would make it to air. So, But that was their moment in the sun. So every single time you had to bring the energy, it could be the one. And um, and that actually was real. It, it was exhausting. But we were like siblings and we'd fight over our toys and carry on, but we actually have such a respect for um, each of us. In fact, Steve called me just a week or so ago and go, hey, people keep asking me, how are you? So how are you? <laughs> so I was really, you know, we, uh, and Janine, I'm catching up with her regularly while she's in Sydney and, yeah, speaking to Glenn. So, no, we remain close and we're like siblings and we have a great deal of respect and love for each other. Well, your face lights up when you talk about it and your face lights up when you talk about your business babies. Let me read some of them out. Ready Experiences, Big Red Group is the umbrella. You've got a business called Marketics, Adrenaline as well. So you're adding to your portfolio. So the question is around impact. So I'm a small business owner pitching to you. What do you look for? Yeah. So the number one thing is can you articulate or can you tell me simply what job you're being hired to do? Now, many people come on and pitch the problem that I'm solving. Now, the problem that you're solving doesn't necessarily mean that people will pay for it. And commercial enterprises and social enterprises they're establishing, it's how the money moves through that business. If you haven't got the means, you can't change the world. And it's the same with social enterprises. Unless you've got a robust enterprise, you're not going to be making any money and you're not going to change the world and make it a better place. So absolutely love and adore social enterprise. I absolutely love and adore purposeful work. However, money is the system that we have and so we have to make sure that they're commercially viable. So the job you're being hired to do has so much more in it and whether it's a goods or services, but there's three primary ways that people will hire you, either for a transaction. It's just you were at the right place at the right time with the right product Secondly, they're buying it for social reasons. I look good. Everybody wants to have a look, you know, where I sit in my community, this is good for me. Or thirdly is emotional connection. And that is I feel good. I've done the right thing. Now, if you can connect to customers emotionally through your purpose and BHAG, they're likely to become customers rather than transactions or users or whatever you want to say. So, you know, customers, ultimately the best customers are the the customers who are your advocates who find other customers just like them. And ultimately that's what I'm looking for. Hi, we hope you have been enjoying this podcast so far. Don't forget that we have plenty more podcasts and content just like this on NAB Business Fit. Go to www.nab.com.au forward slash business fit for more content to support your physical and psychological well-being and to help you take care of business. I've read your books. I know what BHAG stands for. Some people might think it's a European <laughs> handbag, but a BHAG is big, hairy, audacious goal. Just for anyone who's going, what the? What, what, it's a BHAG. Well, it was Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great. And I remember reading that book and going, oh, uh, yeah, he's really, um, yeah, I remember really just being, well, it was an aha moment. So I'm curious, when you've got 80 to 100 pitches in a year, that's a lot. How do you manufacture enthusiasm? I'll ask this in another context as well. So Naomi, you do lots of events. Uh, these events at the moment, but you're back when we go. Isn't it great to get back in a live audience? Have you spoken in front of a live audience recently? I've done two. 
and I loved them. Oh, my God. I've had a couple. I had Navy in Canberra the first one a month ago, and I wanted to hug every one of the Navy commanders in the room, the men and women, but I'm not allowed. So it's just so exciting. But the question, you're getting to the 83rd person, 83rd pitch, or you've got a busy week, you know, keynote season, three times a year in the old days, February, mid-year and October. It's where you go. It's busy. How do you manufacture enthusiasm? How do you shift your physical or your psychological energy for some of those big moments? And it doesn't matter whether it's Shark Tank or but for speaking engagements, it's never about me. It's never about me. The question I always ask is how do you want your audience left? What is the one thing you want them to take away and take home with them? How do you want them to experience this? Because often people don't even hear your words. It's that they feel your energy. And that's the hardest thing by this whole virtual world because actually they want the energy. And the energy perpetuates itself. You know this yourself. If you get a great audience, they get a great presentation. If you've got a really flat audience, you have to generate yourself even more and the authenticity comes sometimes can be out of alignment. So, you know, I have been to speaking engagements where as part of the kind of rev up, they're all clapping their hands, they do a standing ovation. When you walk in, there is so much physical energy in the room that it just, it's the best one you've ever done. And then there's other audiences who just sit back and wait for you to perform and they just they just don't get the same level of laughter, energy, telling. And it's because you're kind of second-guessing yourself. Are they listening? Are they hearing? So more is going off. You can't just truly be there. So I always ask audience as, you know, who do I need to be for you right now? And I also appreciate that some people have had who knows what happened to them at their day and it's absolutely okay the way they show up. So in other words, if somebody's distracted or they've had a fight with their partner, it's okay. I'm never going to get anybody in the audience and I stop. It's not for me to try. It's for them to choose to participate. We all came together at the same time. And once I stop trying to prove myself or the energy will just flow and they get the whole me and it's fine. What's and all? Well, it's the authenticity, right? <laughs> that they see the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows. That's what running a business is about. And you mentioned the energy and, and shifting state. Specific to COVID, how have you shown up? Because I can only imagine how a business creating, making every moment count. And you've got a whole ecosystem in your business. You've got hundreds, possibly thousands of small businesses that are in your network for wonderful experiences. So how have you shown up? How has this impacted you and how has this impacted your business? Um, In the first, it was awful and nobody knew but quite frankly right now and it's been since end of May early June people want to do experiences and on one of the few places whether it be Red Balloon Adrenaline or Lime and Tonic we're one of the few um, places where we know what's open we know what's great we they've been you know selected based on our 11 point quality assurance including you know COVID safe so actually people in these times do go to the brands they trust and trust is everything in business now. So the first thing that I did was I just had to get close to customer because it is about trust. But if I am disconnected, so I was kind of in a non-executive role doing the ambassador stuff, you know, non-executive director. But as soon as COVID hit, I said, I want to join our B2B team and I want to start talking to customers and listening. And for me, that was the most powerful thing because then I could feel what was going on in corporate life, the sorts of battles and what they were dealing with. 
And that has been incredibly valuable for me. In fact, the notion of the experience of work, leaders are really struggling with. Do we, to office or not to office? Melding, you know, we were talking about before in terms of flexibility. Well, that might not work for all employers. How do we do that? And, you know, we have a massive investment in our culture and in the social capital, and yet people can't hang out together. So I commissioned some research, a white paper, to pull it all together about the experience of work, and we've come up with a six-point framework for leaders, of which we're just launching it. So it's brand new and hot off the press. Can you give us an insight now, (laughs) hot off the press, pre-release? Yeah. Well, I guess it comes back to the word. You've said impact, but the word I'm using a lot right now is intentional. And intentional is about intentional leadership. You know, you used to be able to create a cohort by, you know, just let's get in a meeting room and have a bit of a huddle. Well, no, no, no. Now everybody has to choose to participate and really participate because sitting in a very passive world of this digital way, they have to choose to be listening, not, you know, looking at Instagram at the same time. So got to be really, really intentional. So this white paper really helps leaders explore the questions perhaps they could be asking now so that they set themselves up for a better place than they maybe were before. So what we're seeing is older people are really happy to be working from home. It gives them the flexibility of their net, but young people are missing the contact and they might be in smaller apartments or not with family. So it is not a one-size-fits-all approach. And so anyway, what I'll do, I'll share you the link and, you know, your readers can download it. <laughs> I will put in the show notes. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to share it with people. Hey, look, and on that as well, I think a lot of leaders from traditional organisations, and yours is not that at all, but from traditional, the big companies are struggling with the lack of hierarchy because when you're the big dog, the Le Grand Fromage, and the whole system is right. It's there from the office to the way you're greeted to some have drivers and that's now been flattened. I think it's actually a wonderful experiment on this and how leaders do lead through this, not through organisation chart, but how you lead with values, how you connect with people, how you build a community, how you build a purpose to what you're doing other than making money. So I think the the opportunity here is for, to quote Cheryl Sandenberg, to lean in to really what your people want, to what your customers want. And those that do that, I think they're going to be in five years' time totally different businesses. Those that don't, it's going to be tough. Yeah, it's been the great leveller. There's no doubt about that. Um, The number of meetings that I might have really senior CEOs, executives, and, you know, they're sitting in their spare bedroom. And you get this intimacy into people's lives that we've never really had. And I think it's, it's a wonderful thing for us to just see us all as humans, you know, everybody is juggling or navigating or making choices for the days. And one of the things I talk about in my speaking engagements is however you are is absolutely okay, especially in the startup community or small businesses when they just think I am never, ever going to finish everything in my inbox and I have never. (laughs) So it's okay. Um, And stop beating yourself up. Stop beating yourself up about not being a perfect parent. Stop beating yourself up about stop. My business isn't big enough or it's not growing fast enough or I didn't get enough done. You know, just breathe. Breathe. Let's have another look. And how are you teaching some small business owners to just breathe? Because your passion shows. <laughs> I know. Uh, you're on Q and A recently. I'm wondering when they're asking you to fill in. Um, and <laughs> you did. A, you did a great job. Now you know I won't let a question get in the way of a good answer, don't you? And they said, "We'll pretend we didn't hear that." 
<laughs> well, Hamish has got to have a holiday at some stage, so it'll get you in there to fill in. But your passion shows when you talk about small business, and I know you do some on camera, but you do a lot off camera that people don't know about. So you, being in the customer support is an example of that. When you're talking to one of your businesses or one of your suppliers who's really struggling, what advice are you giving them at the moment around staying healthy, about being resilient? Um, look, there's several things. There's, first of all, it's the person themselves and their mental resilience. And we all need somebody to love us. We all need somebody who believes in us. Um, we all need someone to talk to. And particularly in this time, I've worried about the loneliness of small business owners, particularly when everyone's at them. Their suppliers are at them, their customers are at them, their employees are at them, and their families are at them. Did you make any money today, darling? Can we pay the mortgage? Is it okay to pay this bill? And the sheer pressure on small businesses, it's impossible for a business to plan. And the one thing I've been talking about is you don't just say, let's go and everybody starts. People need to be trained, certified. You don't just get a you know, sous chef from anywhere. Getting a hot air balloon pilot, there's a bit of training involved, you know. So they're all registered with the Civil Aviation Corporation. They have to have their regular hours up. So there is compliance that small business has to do, which keeps our system going, keeps us safe. So it's not a matter of just close and open. And that has been incredibly stressful for small business. So I have been using my voice to agitate, to say, we get that you've done this. We are so glad to be here and not in Europe. We understand this. But to be in tourism right now in Queensland without a real understanding of when and how those borders are going to open, it's just not fair. Tell us it's going to be January and we'll work towards this. Tell us it's going to be this. Don't say it's going to be then and then move it and then so, and impossible targets. Anybody who's ever on a sales team, don't give a sales target they can never get. It's so demotivable. It's the same. Oh, we have to get down to this many cases. Nobody can control that. Well, it's basic psychology. We know humans. What freaks us out is we don't like ambiguity and we don't like big numbers. We're getting both. We're getting big numbers and we have ambiguity, no guidelines. So, yeah, people are freaking out. Yeah, so small business owners, please don't feel alone. Do find somebody who is a peer, um, whether we can connect you, you know, naomisimpson.com, my channels, whatever, but you are not alone. And one of the things we've done for our own small business community, the 2,000 small businesses who run our fabulous experiences is every two weeks there's a webinar, there's newsletters, here's the help. So making sure that we keep people close. And the biggest decision for small business about coming back is will I have a pipeline and will I have customers? And, you know, that's been hard because some of the suppliers I've worked with for 20 years and they go, look, I just don't know if anybody's going to come back to the CBD of, of Melbourne for years. And, you know, artisans who have just said, actually, I'm hanging on my boots, I'm done. And I think that's another thing that uh, particularly some of the premiers haven't necessarily thought about is small business owners have a choice. They've been paying into their super forever. Maybe they're done. So it does not mean that they're going to come back. Can I back this truck up just a little bit? You mentioned casually the 2,000 small business suppliers. That's a big impact, isn't it? When you look at the, the influence you have, uh, the responsibility you have, does that ever, does it ever keep you up at night? Does it ever wear down on you? No, because I just know that my intention is 
there's that word again, is that I do what I can and I can't do everything and it's absolutely okay. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. That is my motto, but it doesn't mean I make a rod for my own back. So the thing is that what people probably don't realise, particularly let's talk about Red Balloon because that's the business that I founded all those years ago, that is as a marketplace, our supplier community as is, is as important as our consumers. So um, what's important is that we haven't got any lollies on the shelf, we can't sell them. But for those small businesses, what we did was we gave them a brand, the Red Balloon brand, we gave them a quality assurance process and we just send them customers and we pay them beforehand. So the hardest thing right now is have I got a pipeline and will customers come? So being a part, and I think of this for lots of small businesses, being part of a marketplace, a cohort or a community. The other thing is social media, anybody's watched Social Dilemma, okay, that's the addictive side of the consumer or user, as they say. But what about the addictive nation of advertising? So for a small business today, I spent five bucks and I got a customer. Great. Tomorrow I spend 10 bucks. Oh, but I didn't get a customer. It's so hard to understand. And even the people at the social media companies, Google and Facebook, they know it's all run by algorithms and it's difficult. So our job is just to find customers and send them to these small businesses. And then so doing, they can be the world expert at whatever they're doing. And it doesn't cost anybody anybody anything to list with us, but they have to be a part of our quality program. And what we do know is that for a hundred bucks spent with us, they will go and they will buy another ticket or they'll upgrade or they'll buy photographs or something. And that hundred bucks is likely to turn into 300 for that supplier. But then also they're likely to spend at least another 700 in community. You think about the Hunter Valley, they'll go and stay a night, they'll do a hot air balloon ride, they'll go to some wineries. And before you know it, that's $1,000. So for $100 spent with Red Balloon, it ends up as $1,000 of economic impact. And last year we delivered 600,000 customers to small businesses around Australia, which was $85 million, which represented $85 $850 million worth of economic impact. And we know because of the work that we do that we've created 50,000 jobs. And that's our job is to create jobs, is to create employment and just deliver customers. I flipped the old marketing model. I used to be a marketing consultant when I left corporate life and I just, I know what people will pay for. They will pay for customers. When you say that, it's inspiring. It's also clear. It's articulate. Was that the vision when you started the business? Oh, no, you know, I just wanted to have a lifestyle and I got that wrong. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> it was an obvious question, right? But, you know, you must have had some clarity because I get the humility and you know, the success wasn't all planned, but you must have had some sort of vision, some structure. I do believe in the experience economy. I do believe that people want to spend time with each other and it's far more important than stuff. And I think out of all of this, that's the thing. Uh, that we've said is actually I want to tick some things off my bucket list. So, yes, I do believe in the experience economy and I think that experiences as gifts um, make so much sense because then you get to spend time with the person who gave it to you or for a company they get to help the economy grow through small business and it's hard for the jet boat guy to walk into one of those big buildings in the city and say, would you like to buy a jet boat? but pretty easy for us to do that. And then he might get the customer. But if somebody doesn't want jet boating, they can go and do something else. I love jet boating. It is a lot of fun. It's great. 
they always stick me in the back and I get wet hair. It's fantastic. Don't you find that? I don't have the wet hair problem. So <laughs> let's move on to the next question. You said, <laughs> I like what you did there. <laughs> um, you've been the voice, but you've also used your words and you used your words with your best-selling book, Ready to Soar, which as a small business owner or startup, it's, it's really one of the manuals you have to buy if you're going to go and have a startup. And you outline in that some great lessons to build your business, to look after yourself. But I know you have some thoughts on startups at the moment and it's not easy as some people might lead us to believe. Yeah, I wrote that book after the first season of Shark Tank and the 100 pitches that we saw because I guess having that much access to people with ideas, what I also saw is some people just shouldn't be in business. You can have great ideas but not everybody is meant for this life and not everybody has this risk appetite. And I'm very concerned that we see in the newspaper, oh, this startup just raised this amount of money or they've just scaled or they've just done this exit. It's such a small, small proportion of those people who think they're going to give it a crack. And so I wanted to people to go into this startup notion, first of all, understanding who they were and their risk appetite and understanding whether they're meant to be an entrepreneur or whether they need more stability. And therefore, they might have a great idea, but it doesn't mean they have to run it as a business. Maybe it belongs somewhere else. And so I go kind of through these exercises and things because to take people on a journey of whether it's right or wrong. And I wondered if I was being a little bit of a naysayer, but I think, you know, going into something with your eyes wide open and setting some timeframes around it might actually give your family or the people around you some support and comfort on this journey. I don't think you're a no-sayer at all. I think it's wise. It's bold because not everyone says that. But I think a lot of people, I'm interested in your thoughts, I think a lot of people go into small business after a crisis. Like when people leave the big secure corporate world, a crisis could be made redundant. Crisis could be they can see the markets drying up. It could be a relationship crisis, could be a midlife crisis. And then a lot of people jump into small business. You know, it's the doctor who opens the coffee cart because he loves coffee or, you know, the banker that goes by and buys a vineyard, you know, just keep buying local coffee, (laughs) keep buying local wines, you know, tick the passion box. So I find that when you go through that, it's a really good way. Okay, you have that word, intention. Do you have the right intention? Are you skilled? It's bloody tough running a small business. Hugely rewarding, but bloody tough. And and let's not dance around it. Yeah, I look, Bernard Salt has been talking about the ABS data and we're seeing a massive increase in what we call micro businesses. So a small business is probably three, five employees, but a micro business tends to be self-employed or a couple of people together. And um, I'm particularly concerned about the micro businesses that have come out of, let's say, the collaborative consumption or the experience economy in the sense of, you know, let's just use Uber as an example because everybody knows it. But to be an Uber driver, all the risk is with the driver. You've got to get the car, you've got to have an insurance, got to go through all of the checks and everything. So there's a cost of entry. And I'm just wondering if people are actually doing enough of the sums to say, and then what will my return be? Um, There was a whole big thing that happened with Airbnb when um, COVID hit that they just cancelled all of the bookings, just 100% of them. And there's big conversation yet all of the investment had been made by the people who were 
were renting out either a room or or accommodation. So I think, you know, as we get better at this whole notion of experience of work and as our economy changes, there will be more protection for what we call micro businesses. Or And I know that the ombudsman is doing as much as she can to make sure that people get paid, for instance, um, because as a very small operator, it can be really, really challenging to chase um, invoices and debts, which so I guess not everybody is made for this life. I do believe in trusting your gut. And even at that very micro level, if you're feeling anxious about taking a co-working space because of that, that means that's the amount of money you have to fight every month. All of a sudden, it's very different. I kept my overheads as low as I possibly could, secondhand computers, working from home. In fact, oh, I'm on a secondhand computer working from home. Nothing's changed. Um And, you know, I'm probably pretty stingy, but that was all. In fact, Gemma, who's been with me now for 17 years, she's the chief operating officer of the Big Red Group. Uh, You know, she said, Naomi, could you go and buy some new clothes? Seriously, you need to start looking like a CEO. I go, oh, okay. (laughs) Because everything went into the business, but I was keeping my overheads low. And I'm also very much a believer, if you're not prepared to spend your own money, don't think you're going to spend an investor's money. Money is harder and no matter where it comes from. And um, we must respect investors. and respect. It's a good call out. And a call out to Gemma. I met Gemma, gosh, I just moved back to Sydney a couple of years. So she must have been starting for you. It must be 13, 14 years ago. I did a talk for you in Piermont. You weren't ready group then. You didn't have the big umbrella of Sweet companies, you're red balloons. Hey, big shout out. Hello, Gemma. 17 years is amazing. And shout out to Bernard Salt, you know, yeah. the, the guy that makes demographics sexy. I worked with Bernard at KPMG. We were partners there at the same time. And his name has popped up multiple times throughout here. He does a really have a, an impact with the research. So hello to Gemma and hello to Mr. Salt as well. Yes, he's great. And I always look forward to what his column is going to say in the Australian on the weekend. And I've particularly enjoyed the unifying nature of his words and how he is calling on all of Australia, and I think we need more of that. And I think he's waiting for the cruise liners to get going on the Danube again. He he took over (laughs) from George Negus, I believe, when I caught up with Bernard a couple of years ago. He said, yeah, I'm winding back and I'm going to go on the cruises. And I could imagine the dulcet tones of Bernard reading something out as well. But so you listen to Bernard. Who else do you take counsel from or who has really influenced you in your leadership journey? Um, There's those people from my youth, like Lindsay Catamol, who had Aspect Computing. Um, Carol Schwartz has been a great... Um, often mentor. She doesn't realise she's mentoring me. I'm just asking her questions about this, that and the other. Uh, and I have some incredible, uh, incredibly close uh, friends who will definitely keep me honest. And many of them are business owners, Bobby Marlab, uh, uh, Lynn Krauss from EY actually has been a great friend on this whole journey. So I have gathered some very strong people who will tell me how it is. And, of course, there's my wonderful business partner, David Anderson, who, um, you know, together we created the Big Red Group uh, when I needed to do something differently with Red Balloon. Um, That's a whole podcast in itself, can I just say. That's about an ex-husband and then there was a blah, 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 and that's quite the story. But we created the Big Red Group with a vision of shifting the way people experience life. And that's really served us both and allowed us to take our assets, our 
uh, culture and everything and apply it to different businesses. So same product, same technology, and then we apply it to different audiences and that's given us incredible growth. I was going to make a mental note, Wizard. We've got to do a separate podcast on that. I would love to know that story. <laughs> love to. And I can see the little glint in your eye. Have you spoken about that in detail? One or two times. It's quite a personal journey of, you know, being married for 20 years and 10 years into Red Balloon and I was always the founder of Red Balloon. Um, and then to go through a separation with somebody who owned half your business and he was not going to sell it. So it took six and a half years and David Anderson, I tell him he's my best business partner I've ever had. He says, yeah, but you can compare me to your ex-husband, so that doesn't really count. So, you know, um, but anyway, so it was quite a journey uh, for David and uh, David, you know, put the deal together, got the whole thing on the table and I managed to buy my own company. What have you improved as a result of that experience? What did you learn from that experience? Because six and a half years in a buyout, the word that comes to mind would be excruciating. Yeah. It did give me the chance to do other things like Shark Tank and write books and do other things. So I had capacity to do things other than my own business. But the thing um, was it's such a good business. Like Red Balloon is such a good business. We help people. We make people's day. They have such a wonderful time. And so David saw just such a bigger vision for what we were doing because he'd worked in M&A technology and he'd done retail exits and all sorts. So I guess this is often a problem for founders. Like I'm aware of my non-strengths, but sometimes you're not aware of your blind spot in terms of your own business experience. And so he and I are like yin and yang. We're completely different, but 30% are the same and our values are absolutely shared and our vision is shared, but it's um, our partnership is really wonderful and our whole leadership team quite frankly are doing that work every day and it's delightful to see the impact for our community. I think it's important isn't it, to understand that balance between creative and commercial and you see a number of business owners start a business. We had Lisa Messenger who I'm sure you are in similar circles and Lisa you know publishing Dynamo 37 companies she had her magazine in and Lisa openly said that she looks back, her biggest lesson was she didn't have the commercials right and she now has a totally different business structure because she's learnt the hard way. Is that what David's brought to you? Is that allowed you to focus on the community, on the vision and is David more across commercials or is it a balance between the two? No, our business model remains the same thing. We find experiences, we take a clip of the ticket and we send them out to partners. No, the real difference came from having a much, much bigger vision of how can we take that to different audiences and also the technical, the technology platforms that will be required. He says, you are always the entrepreneur, you're the ideas person, which is great. But at some point, um, you know, we when we came back into the business, we were serving an experience every two and a half minutes. And I think we're serving an experience, well, next year it's going to be every 21 seconds. So that rapid growth takes a lot of infrastructure, systems, processes to allow it to scale. And that's the thing that it really required. The business model, actually, he said, gosh, you invented an amazing business model. But what we 
could do was take that business model into new audiences with different systems and that's what he and like our CFO amazing and how he has absolutely got all these systems and structures in place which I'm grateful for because that allows me to be creative and work with customers. With respect I think for a lot of founders it's getting out of our own way because you know what we've done and what we've built and where we've gone then you get a different set of eyes in so it frees you up to be you and then brings another skill set in as well. So a good time to ask you crystal ball here we're going to do a bit of future gazing. What does the future look like for your business or your businesses? Well, by 2030, we'll be serving and experience every second somewhere on earth sustainably. So I think we have a role as leaders to show people what is possible and how we can nurture this planet. And we've started this journey. We have a small range of what we're calling responsible experiences, but you know, 2030 is coming right up. It's not that far away. And I just want to make sure that our experiences, that we don't leave a footprint and that um, it's completely sustainable. So that is a very big journey for us of which we have started. And we are not going to let this thing called COVID get in our way. I think in anything, it's more important than ever that we nurture this planet, we nurture the people, that we're inclusive and we drag everybody with us. So that's the business and I love that connection with the environment around footprints. What about your footprints, your own little footprints? What, what? Apart from going to the gym and coming back. And- yeah, let me ask you a different question. If you could do any job, any job, could be outlandish, as bold as you possibly can be, what would you do? Oh, look, I am... Um, there's two me's. There's the introvert me, which is the painter. And I've rediscovered my painting in the last nine months. And I love it. And it's my really happy place. And I think that this has given me a chance to go at different speeds. And I have this very creative, slow kind of speed. I'm looking at one of my paintings now and I love it. But, you know, I think I was given the gift of the gab. My mother said I was given the gift of the gab. I could use it for good or for evil. I want bigger stages. I want to have more impact. I want to show particularly young people it's okay. It's up to you. We will be all right. And that we are a community. I am particularly concerned about the divisive nature of a lot of the, you know, we seem to have gone to the extremes for a moment there in 2020. We felt like one country. We felt like we were doing this all together. Um, And I was very concerned that politics got in that. So I don't know what form that leadership will play, but uh, maybe it's in the media. Maybe I just would like to show people what is possible. Let's go back to the canvas. You picked up the brushes, the pastels. What do you paint with? Oh, look, here's one. I don't know if you can see it. Um, I've sold some paintings this year, though. So Have you? You're a commissioned been... artist. I have. I have. So um, so anyway, I can um, I can share that with you, but I, I just love it and adore it. And I think, you know, sometimes I think maybe I just want to start another little business school and a gallery and have some other artists and bring a few paintings on the wall and, you know, do something really um, boutique. Or should I follow this calling of being a voice for youth and living into possibility? I don't know. It's uh, Can you make it less dichotomous? Yeah. How do you make it and? How do you be the voice and have a gallery? Well, why don't you have a show on ABC? <laughs> I think so. Like look at Aunt Doe. Yes, exactly. Seriously. Like, I know Aunt's story was you know, good artist, stopped, comedian, did 
TV speaking, like you have spoken with Arne numerous stages and suddenly popped up, haven't seen him for a few years. He's painting and looked at it, it's bloody good. Yeah, yeah. I think he's absolutely, you know, there's a few people who've done very well out of the ABC. I also remember when Working Dog managed to convince them that they should travel the world fishing. And that would be a television program. I think it was called All the Rivers Run or something like that or uh, Finding the River. And, uh, you know, there's certain people who've done very, very well in the ABC of having their produce their passions, So, uh, which is wonderful. I agree with you, though. It doesn't have to be an and. In fact, I think, you know, to our point of we have one life, it's okay for me to tell people that actually sometimes I just spend hours and hours with my colours and my paints and it's a place of thinking and nurturing and almost meditation and it probably gives me uh mental health too when actually there's so many so many things in my life i can't control i'll remove the word probably and say definitely you light up when you talk about it but you almost apologized for the gallery so is it a confidence thing or is it are you growing into it like when you look at your painting do you go good work you or when other people look at it you know when you sold your first painting what thought process went through your mind? Oh, I was excited like a little kid going to a birthday party. And, and when, uh, you know, we were discussing this first um, showing that I'm going to have, like I'm like I'm so excited. And um, so I guess I do just love it. And um, I know when they're good and I know when they're not good. And I sometimes say, oh, that's finished. And then I go back and I cover it over and I start again because this is a journey And this is something that doesn't have to be perfect. And that's another thing for me. Um, But I guess it's always that thing, you know, I don't want to be judged for this, but there's a lot of people who have all sorts of different talents that nobody knows about. So, um, you know, but it just is. And I, I do have so much fun with it, which is great. Where do you draw inspiration from? Now, inspiration could be for the business or inspiration from paintings. Do you have a favorite? quote, a favourite story, a movie, a book, a poem, a thing? So colour has always played a big role for me. And so every Monday I send out a little quote on my Instagram to kind of set up my week and I'm happy to share these things. It's the same with my blog. I just share what I'm learning. I'm very conscious about where I spend my time and energy. So I read a lot. Thank you for your book. I was like, oh, now I've got the little handbook. Well, not so little. It's really heavy. Not as environmental (laughs) as it possibly could have been, Naomi. I've taken that one. (laughs) Labour of love a book, isn't it? I think someone gets your book and goes, oh, wow, thank you for your book, Naomi. Was that a couple of weekends away on the coast? Like, oh, my God, no, it's years of subconscious orbit. I also found that I needed to know who I was writing my books for. Live What You Love was for all the people who were wanting to work out what's next for them. Ready to the Saw was all those people who think they've got a business idea. And when I could see their face, it came, you know, did all the research, but I could, it was like I was talking to them. And that's what people say about my books. It's like I'm having a dinner party conversation with them. They're so kind of easy. Ready to Saw, I felt like I was talking to you, having a coffee and talking to you. I've got three more questions. Okay. Question number one, what's the next book and when is it out? I do think I should tell that story of partnership. I think it'll be great. Wizard, number two, we're getting it back. (laughs) Am I allowed to be, you've been great today and I love talking to you. 
I think that would be a very, very different interview and I think it would be raw and that's why I asked for permission. But you think about it, I'll loop back. I'd love to do the Naomi Simpson totally unplugged. People would love it. Yeah, yeah, and I'm happy to do that. And I'm also very aware it's my view of the world. So, you know, there's always a different view and that's my view. But I do think it's an important story to tell. I touch on it and ready to soar often that we turn to the person nearest to us to be our business partner and they're not necessarily the right person. Um, and sometimes people find themselves in places that they aren't what they need to be. So I think that will be the next book. I'm sure there's another book, but I'm not quite sure when. I've got to find two minutes to write. So that's that. What's the next question? Question number two, out of everything you do, running the business, doing media, Shark Tank, uh, voice, and written word for small business owners and now commissioned artist, mother, wife, community member, the list goes on and on and on. When are you happiest? During the week, when are you at your happiest, your most content? When do you just find that joy? Um, I get so much energy from my speaking and being with people. So it's absolutely two sides of me. I'm so excited for the weekends because I will go to my studio and maybe not leave and my husband will come down with a cup of tea and say, did you want to have anything to eat at all today? And so I'm really in my happy place, but I get so much energy from contributing. And when somebody says to me, I heard you speak eight years ago and then I did this, it just makes my day, absolutely makes my day. So I know that my future has something to do with being in the public domain and supporting the community and getting that energy cycle going. Final question. I've asked you a number of questions today. Is there a question you would like me to ask you in finishing? Or is there a question you would like to flip it and ask me? Oh, well, you know, you also, like me, have had such a variety in your career. It's not linear in any way. My career is not linear in any way. So um, where do you see yourself giving your energy over the next one, three, five, ten years? Totally unprepared for a question like that, but I suppose when you ask an open-ended question, you're going to get one, aren't you? I Look, I'm loving podcasting. This is a new foray. I'm really enjoying this. Uh, our business as well, we've decimated and originally by COVID. As I said before, we started, we lost 90% of revenue uh, because all of our stuff was events, high-end leadership programs in our human performance lab, but really going down that path with technology and creating content. So podcasting is that, creating content, really digitizing our business. So I think we've accelerated five years in what we're doing as well. And... I'm having conversations about going back into sport, in mental skills, and I've been talking to a sporting team recently about going back and implementing a professional sporting team, a mental skills program. That it gets me excited. This is the first time I've articulated that. I won't say the team or I won't say the sport yet because it's still early days. But that's, yeah, really combining it. It is, it's additive. Uh, there's a book out at the moment, which is a great book called Range, R-A-N-G-E, and they actually challenge the 10,000 hours notion that Ericsson first came up with the violinist in the Berlin Orchestra that Malcolm Gladwell made really popular through Tipping Point. It's, it's associated with Gladwell, but it actually came from Ericsson. But Range actually says that's only for the few, like a Michael Jordan, like a Bill Gates. But for the rest of us, we need range. 
So when you work in a big business and then when you work as a mum at a home business and then start a, a startup and then you get David Anderson and you know, have one experience every second, it's the range. So I feel like going back to sport is the range. I feel like it's ready. So yeah, it's exciting. And guess what? You light up. And you know what I think is for you is because you get to see the immediate outcome. And, you know, often in the world that we're in, we don't see the outcome, but we too need that. We need that affirmation and recognition that we made a difference. And that's why you spark there because you think, oh, this, I could see this really working. That's why you spark up there. I did. Well picked up. It's about making every moment count. And you've certainly done that. It's in your background. Now tell us the QR code for people who are watching this on the video cast. Oh, I thought we were doing a podcast. I would have put some lipstick on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <You're>... well. <laughs> so that is just, um, that's if anybody wants to get my bi-weekly newsletter, just scan over that, put your details and we'll, add up, you know, what I'm reading, what I'm learning and so forth and it's just a way of people staying in touch because sometimes people connect and they're like well now what and um, perhaps I can support them on their journey so that's just for the newsletter if they want. Awesome we'll put all that up in the show notes you're very generous uh, even at the end giving extra resources to our small business owners so to find you Naomi Simpson N-A-O-M-I-S-I-M-S-O-N dot com and make sure you then go to Naomi Simpson slash paints P-A-I-N-T-S, and we can see about the gallery. It's right there. There's a link on the homepage, so it's great. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. It was such a delight to have a chat. Hey, it's Andrew again, and we hope you enjoyed that interview. And just a quick note to remember to please go to nab.com.au slash businessfit we hope you really liked this episode and received lots of value and we would love it if you can go to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and click on the subscribe button. We'd also really appreciate it if you share it with friends or colleagues you think might also benefit from these messages. And we'd really appreciate if you can rate and review it. We love seeing your messages and love seeing your ratings. Okay, that's it for this time. We look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode of NAB Business Fit.